just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your week went well. We're headed into a weekend. That's always good news. You know, sometimes I feel bad when I do this podcast because it seems like we focus a lot on bad news, negative stuff. Sometimes I think it would be nice to just be carefree, laugh, and joke. And maybe we'll do that on some podcast. I try to stick it in every so often in the podcast. But the fact of the matter is we have a lot of serious things going on in this country. Some of it's bad news. Some of it's negative. We need to talk about it so we all know what we're dealing with and what we might do to help fix it. And that's what we try to do on this podcast because a lot of times you will hear things on the TV news or other podcasts and you don't hear the whole story. So it's important that you know everything so you can decide what your opinion is, not what the media wants you to believe or think. You should have the right to know everything and make your own decisions. And hopefully that's what we do here on the Rational Boomer podcast. That said, (laughs) I do have some positive news, some good news, at least on the first portion of this podcast. On Friday night, late Friday night, the U.S. House of Representatives voted and passed the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. Now, that's a big deal. I mean, you think about it. This country has needed its infrastructure attended to for decades, literally decades. We have bridges falling down. We have roads being torn up, water electricity, gas lines, everything needs to be upgraded. I mean, this country is akin to, well, buying a new car, never changing the oil, never changing the tires, doing no maintenance on it at all, and expect it to run at optimal levels and be safe. Well, that's pretty much what we've done with this country. We've done no maintenance. We've not put any money into it. Sure, we send a lot of money to rich people and uh, stupid fucking contracts, but we don't put the money back into the country. Well, now we have. It passed the House. It already passed the Senate. So all it really needs to do now is go to Joe Biden, have him sign it, and it is law. And once and for all, we'll have some help with our infrastructure in the United States of America. It's nice that it's done. It's ridiculous that it took this long to get it done. But on the positive side, at least it's done. We're going to get some help. We'll get back to getting this country running more at optimal levels because we'll do the maintenance. And it will be safer for people. There's a lot of safety issues. I just heard about another town in Michigan having problems with lead in their water. How is that even possible? We still have Flint, Michigan, dealing with that shit. Those things need to be addressed. People should have clean water, safe water that doesn't kill them or make them sick. And the infrastructure bill will help with a lot of that. So that's good news. It was interesting to me, though, when you look at the vote in the House. 
it passed 228 to 202 or something like that. Now, there were some progressive Democrats that voted against it, but the only reason they voted against it, because they knew it would pass without their votes. They want to show their protest, but they didn't want to screw up the vote for Nancy Pelosi, because I think Nancy Pelosi would probably kick their ass. I mean, she's 80, and she's kind of shaking a little bit, but I wouldn't fuck with her, because, <laughs> you know what, as much as these people hate Nancy Pelosi, and I don't know if I'm a fan or not, but she's successful. In fact, I heard somebody say she's the most successful um, Speaker of the House in history. She's gotten more things done. She doesn't put anything up for a vote unless she knows she wins. And she hasn't lost yet, as far as I know. Well, that's not true. There have been a few things here and there. But she wasn't going to take the chance to lose on this one. She made sure it was whipped up and uh, it was going to pass. And it did. So the Senate passed it. The House passed it. But what I found really strange is it's a bipartisan infrastructure bill. There's a ton of people in the House of Representatives, ton of Republicans. They had like 10 or 12 in the Senate that helped to pass it. But in the House, it was like eight. So why are Republicans not voting for a bipartisan bill? I'll tell you why. It's because they don't want the Democrats to look good. They don't give a shit about if the country gets what it needs and the people get the help that they need. They just don't want the Democrats to win. And that's the wrong attitude to take. That's not the job you accepted. The job is to tend to the country and tend to the people. And by voting against it just because you want the Democrats to fail, that's a fucked up attitude. It's the wrong attitude for the job you have. Now, we're going to talk about the other part of this whole deal with the infrastructure bill. Now, we know there's another reconciliation, build back better bill. And the progressive Democrats were fighting for that. Now, they've been dicking around with this for months and months and months. And the Progressive Democrats have essentially been holding the bipartisan bill hostage by saying, look, if we don't have the reconciliation bill signed and sealed, we're not voting for the bipartisan bill. The funny thing is, the bipartisan bill is passed. The progressive Democrats did help to pass it, but we don't have the reconciliation bill as yet. How does that happen? Well, the progressive Democrats don't trust Manchin, don't trust uh, Cinema or the Republicans. When they pass the reconciliation bill in the House, it has to go to the Senate. No Republican is going to vote for it, but that's okay because under reconciliation, they only need to pass it with a simple majority, 51 votes. They've got 50 Democratic senators in the Senate, and then Kamala Harris would break the tie. The problem is, is Manchin and Cinema going to vote for it? So basically, this whole debate didn't even involve the Republicans because we know they're out. It's the Democrats negotiating with the Democrats. Now, you know as well as I do that I don't like Joe Manchin. I think he's a crook. I think he's self-serving. He's only looking to enrich himself. And I saw something today that proves that to me. 
Joe Manchin is getting a lot of heat on the street from Democrats. They're following him around, yelling at him, putting signs in his face, making his life difficult. And you know what? That's good. They should. He should be able to take the heat if he's going to do the things he's doing. But here's an interesting thing. Now, keep in mind, Joe Manchin makes one hundred and seventy-five, maybe $180,000 a year as a senator. Now, that's a pretty good salary. But here's the deal. This video that was shown where these people were crowding around him and harassing him and doing all that, he got off his $750,000 boat, which he kind of lives on. He got off that walked to a parking lot, a parking garage, and got into a brand new fucking Maserati. How does a guy making $172,000 have probably close to a million dollars in a boat and a car? Now, my wife and I have never been rich, but together we've made somewhere similar to that amount, you know, when we were younger and working more and doing all that stuff. Never in my wildest dreams could I possibly have thought to buy a boat that's $750,000, let alone a Maserati that's probably $200,000. No, we very often bought caravans because we had kids. And I just recently got a boat, but it's a 20-foot pontoon boat, and I think I paid $22,000 for it. That was a more than enough of an expenditure for me. But somehow Joe's able to afford this. And we know how he's able to afford it because he makes a million dollars from a coal company run by his son. He also is in the pocket of big oil and other coal companies. He's getting all kinds of money from the Koch brothers. This guy is getting rich while he's denying Americans things that they need and deserve, desperately need and deserve. Well, Joe Manson's a fucker, and we know that. So getting back to the reconciliation bill, why did they sign the bipartisan bill without having the reconciliation bill guaranteed? Well, here's what happened. Biden and the moderate Democrats know they've got to get something done. Biden's poll numbers are going down. People are saying the Democrats can't get anything done. And Joe Manchin and Cinema have said all along, well, just pass the bipartisan bill, then we'll deal with the reconciliation bill. Well, the progressive Democrats don't trust them, and they shouldn't, because they are not trustworthy. So, still, they voted for the bipartisan bill without having the reconciliation bill signed, sealed, and delivered. And why did they do that? Well, because Joe Biden assured them that he would have mansions and cinemas vote on the reconciliation bill. He promised them. Nancy Pelosi promised them. And so what are these Democratic representatives supposed to do? Not believe the president? And if they don't believe the president, what kind of heat are they going to get from Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden? So they're caught between a rock and a hard place. You can't just blow off the president. You've got to do something. And since the Democrats are getting all kinds of heat because they haven't been able to accomplish anything, that's a problem for all of them when they want to go back to their homes and try to 
crow about the things they've accomplished. They're going back next week. So Joe Biden assured them that they would have the votes in the Senate to pass the reconciliation bill. So that convinced the progressive Democrats to say, okay, we'll sign off on the bipartisan bill. But here's the deal. The Congress is out of town all next week. So no votes will happen on the reconciliation bill for a week. And after that, it will take a little time because this is how it works. The House of Representatives will bring the reconciliation bill up for a vote. It will more than likely pass because the Democrats have the majority in the House. Then it needs to be sent to the Senate. Now, it's not just a rubber stamp when it goes to the Senate. What happens, it goes there, and then Manchin and Cinema will pick it apart and change some things or delete some things. Then they will send it back to the House of Representatives. If the House of Representatives are cool with it, then they'll sign it and send it back to the Senate. Then it will become law once Joe Biden signs it. So this process could take a little while. So the progressive Democrats are taking a leap of faith by trusting Biden and Pelosi. But at the same time, now Pelosi and Biden have to trust Manchin and Cinema. So does Joe Biden have some leverage? Does he have some power over these people to guarantee that they will do it? Because I tell you this, if we get the bipartisan bill passed, and this reconciliation bill does not get passed, there are going to be some pissed-off progressive Democrats. Not to mention there's going to be a lot of pissed-off citizens. That is going to be a problem for Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and the Democrats in general. So, as I've said all along, both these bills have to pass. If they don't, it's going to be a problem for Joe Biden and the Democrats. Now, Joe Biden's getting all kinds of props for this bipartisan passing. It's going to lift his poll numbers, and it's going to make things easier for the Democrats. But they still have to get this reconciliation bill done. And let's hope, against all hope, that Joe Biden and Pelosi are correct, and it will get passed. You know, the progressive Democrats will be on their ass all day, every day. Now, what happens if it doesn't pass? Well, here's what's probably going to happen. Biden and Pelosi will get all kinds of heat from everybody from their own party. But then when something else comes up in the House of Representatives, those progressives won't trust Biden or Pelosi or the Democrat moderates. So they will just punish them in return since they didn't come through with what they promised and vote against something else. So this could become a shit show if it doesn't work out. I have to believe in Joe Biden. He has all those years in the Senate and he knows what he's doing. He's got his leverage set up and uh, I trust that he will pull this out. Because to be perfectly honest with you, the bipartisan bill is big for Joe Biden. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a positive thing he has in his pocket, but he really needs the reconciliation bill to blow it over the top. So he needs to do it. He knows he needs to do it. He's wanted to do it from the beginning. So I suspect what will happen is they'll vote on it in a week, 
go to the Senate. They'll dick around with it a little bit. Maybe it'll go back to the House, and then uh, they'll adjust it and send it back. So there could be some negotiations still to go. But they can't let it go very long because they don't have a lot of time. First of all, they're off next week. And then they're going to be off a week for Thanksgiving. And then next month, we have Christmas. And don't forget, on December 2nd, they have to worry about dealing with raising the debt ceiling. Otherwise, the whole thing falls apart. So there's a lot of shit on their table. Oh, and then you throw in the voting rights bill that they got to get passed. They got to deal with the filibuster and somehow get that passed. So there's a lot of things going. They can't sit on their hands with this reconciliation bill. Otherwise, there's going to be all kinds of trouble. So I suspect it'll be voted on in a week. It'll be sent to the Senate. The Senate will pick it apart or go back to the House. If the House is cool with it, they'll sign it. It will go to Joe Biden. Then it's law. And then Joe Biden will be (laughs) swimming in shit because he will look very good. He already looks good with the bipartisan bill. So that's what's going to happen. And we can only hope that everybody who's made promises and these sorts of things will, in fact, (laughs) follow through with what they're supposed to do. But the good news is the infrastructure bill has been passed. Things will start happening and we'll start to see things getting fixed and people will be safer and there'll be more jobs and money and all kinds of things like that. And it will also hit the stock market pretty well. It'll go up and it's already at 36,000. One of the highest times ever, as far as I know, if not the highest. So this is going to help the economy substantially. When the reconciliation bill comes, it'll be even better. So I just wanted to tell you about something else, uh, just kind of an update. I told you about Jeffrey Clark. He was scheduled to be deposed by the House Select Committee today, Friday, Actually, I'm going into Saturday morning. But he was scheduled to be deposed. And we know Jeffrey Clark is the guy that was the under-attorney general for environment. He was nobody. He had no power, nothing like that. But apparently he had been in cahoots with Donald Trump. He was drafting a letter to send to Georgia and all the other states where Trump lost, telling them, oh, there's massive fraud. You can't certify the election. Well, that was a lie, and what he's doing, or what he did, was illegal. So the people in the House Select Committee want to talk to him, because clearly he's part of this overthrowing the government thing. He was the guy that wrote the letter and somehow was getting orders from Donald Trump. So they want to talk to them, talk to him, and they want to get some information out of him. So he shows up. I'll give him that. Unlike Steve Bannon, he showed up. But did he talk? Nope. What he did is he came with a letter, and that letter from his lawyer said, uh, Jeffrey Clark can't testify until we know there isn't a protection with executive privilege. (laughs) Well, we know there's no protection with executive privilege because that's left only to Joe Biden and not Donald Trump, and Joe Biden already okayed it. But, of course, we know that Donald Trump is suing, brought it to court a couple of days ago. The judge seemed fairly unimpressed with the lawsuit. And uh, she's going to come down with some kind of uh, response or some kind of decision 
probably early next week or something like that. She said she was going to be expeditious about it. And when she does, it's possible that uh, Donald Trump will appeal it and try to stretch it out longer and longer. But here's the thing. The National Archives has planned to release those documents on Friday the 12th. Now, if this judge doesn't come back with a decision till Wednesday or Thursday, is there enough time to even mount an appeal? Now, even if he does go to the appeal, it'll probably be shot down pretty quickly. So ultimately, the documents will be released and Donald Trump will be in some serious fucking trouble. But if this judge is mean enough and doesn't think much of Donald Trump, which we know is true, maybe she'll stretch it out a little bit. So he only has a day to put together a uh, an appeal. So the 12th comes, the National Archives releases it. Maybe the next Monday he sets up the appeal to light the shits already out. So Donald Trump's in a heap of trouble. He can't be happy. He's got to be nervous because there are call logs, visitor logs, notes, speeches, all kinds of things in this that will expose Donald Trump for the things he was doing in and around January 6th. We know he was involved in planning and inciting this insurrection. It won't be good for Donald Trump. So Jeffrey Clark did not speak or give any information to the... uh, select committee. He didn't claim the fifth. He just said, my lawyer says I can't talk because of executive privilege. Well, that's not going to last long for him. He's going to have to talk. And even if he doesn't talk, he's got big problems because what he did was either seditious or treasonous. And uh, everybody knows what he's done. The Attorney General Rosen, who's already spoken to the select committee, knows what he's done. And uh, this dude is going to go on trial. He's going to get indicted. He's going to go to trial and will likely be convicted. So he's fucked. The fact that he's playing these games seems to be pretty stupid. You'd think you'd want to cut a deal so you could shave some of the time off your sentence. But no, he's staying strong and solid with Donald Trump. That never works out well. Just ask Rudy Giuliani. Sidney Powell or any of these other dumb fucks that stood by him. They're losing law licenses. They're being disbarred. Uh, They're risking going to jail. (laughs) I don't know what these people are thinking, but they sure are giving it a shot. I just wanted to update you on the Jeffrey Clark situation. Nothing really important happened on it because he didn't talk. But don't worry about it. He's going to have to talk sometime very soon. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back. So here's an interesting quick story. I don't know if you heard this, but you remember this election down in Virginia for the governorship. Terry McAuliffe, a former governor, Democrat, was running against Glenn Youngkin, who is a Republican, who obviously is just a mini Trump. He's a fucking dirtball like Donald Trump. He tried to separate himself from Donald Trump somewhat, but still be on his side. And it worked. He won. Now, some people think it was because the infrastructure bill wasn't passed or anything like that. I don't know that's true, because to be perfectly honest with you, Terry McAuliffe was a shitty candidate. He had a lot of problems on his own. He was a known commodity because he'd already been governor. They should have brought in a new, younger Democrat to run against Junkin. They probably would have been better off. But here's the interesting thing. 
We constantly hear the Republicans spouting about election fraud, the elections rigged, the elections fixed. They're all upset about this. They keep complaining about it, but they have yet to come up with any evidence. No evidence. But they still double down on it and say, oh yeah, there's all kinds of election fraud. Really? Show me. The cyber ninjas couldn't show me. Mike Lindell said he had all the all the um, evidence. He didn't show us shit. I mean, he was on a fucking telethon. He looked like Jerry Lewis up there doing his telethon, but it was horrible. It was boring, and there was no evidence. In fact, his own experts said, yeah, th- yeah, there's nothing here. But here's what's interesting. There was an attempt at election fraud in the Glenn Youngkin, Terry McAuliffe case, the governor's race in Virginia. <laughs> this is almost kind of funny. But then I wonder if it's not a little more insidious. Apparently, Glenn Youngkin's son, who was only 17 years old, attempted to vote not once, but twice on election night. Now, each time the poll workers looked at his ID and said, Now, you're not old enough to vote. Get out of here. And that happened twice. I'm wondering what would cause a 17-year-old boy, knowing he's too young, trying to get in to vote. Some might say, well, he is really adamant about his dad winning, so he wanted to do his part. But he doesn't realize that you have to be 18 to vote. You don't know that. Your dad maybe didn't tell you that. But he still tried. So he attempted election fraud, but he didn't accomplish it. Some people have said to me, well, you should go to jail for that. Look, he's 17 years old. He never actually voted because the poll workers did exactly what they're supposed to do. So why the fuck did he do it? Now I'm a little suspicious. And call it a conspiracy theory. The question is, why would he do it? And here's one thought. Maybe, maybe Glenn Youngkin was worried about losing. And he should have been because it was going to be close. It was close, ultimately. Maybe he was concerned about it. And he knew that if he lost, he was going to say, oh, election fraud. And then when he said election fraud, these poll people and the elections are so phony, my own underage kid voted for me. So if he can do that, how bad must this election be? How much fraud could there be? Now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? You put your son out there as bait just to prove your point. Now, under most circumstances, I would say, that's fucking crazy. But when you're talking about a Republican who happens to be a mini Trump, is it that crazy? People are laughing about this kid going to vote. Since he didn't actually vote, he didn't really break any laws. He's 17 years old. There's going to be no court cases with this. It's just going to be laughed off by a bunch of people. But I have to wonder if Glenn Youngkin didn't have him do this on purpose to see if he could get in and vote and then suggest, if he lost, that the election polling people are incompetent or not paying attention. 
I did it as a test. I sent my son in there. He's underage. He voted. So how fucking bad could this be? Giving him some premise to say that the election was a fraud. Again, that sounds crazy. I know. I know. But think about Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, Matt Gates, and all these people. We've seen crazier shit than that. So I don't know. I mean, Glenn Youngkin won. Funny, nobody in the Republican Party is screaming about fraud or audits or all those sorts of things. You have to wonder if maybe the Democrats should do it just to fuck with them. They won't, but maybe they should. And Glenn Youngkin's 17-year-old son did not get an opportunity to vote because he's underage and because the poll people did their fucking job. So what Glenn Youngkin's son did is he proved there is no election fraud, even though Glenn maybe hoped he would prove there is and that they were lazy and inattentive and willing to let anybody vote. (laughs) I don't know. Call me suspicious, but that seems a little fucking weird to me. You know, it's funny, whenever you listen to Donald Trump, his administration, or all the little trump fucks that follow him, for four and a half years we kept hearing Donald Trump saying, oh, we have the best economy in history. We've gotten the most jobs of anybody in history. Now, when he said that while he was in office, he was wrong. Bill Clinton beat him on a lot of things. But he still kept spouting it. And then when Joe Biden was coming in, he said, oh, Joe Biden would crash the stock market. He wouldn't get any jobs. He'll destroy this country. So if you ever have occasion to speak to a Trumplican, and I don't recommend it, there's no good that can come from talking to a Trumplifuck. Trust me, I've tried. They don't listen to reason. They don't listen to logic. They don't give a shit about facts. They just keep yapping about this conspiracy theory shit, and they are brainwashed and stupid. So don't bother talking to them. However, if you do, I have some facts and figures for you that you might want to pass along to these folks. Now, these aren't theory. These aren't conspiracy theories. These are facts and numbers coming from the very people who compile these facts directly from the source. And I'd be curious as to how Republicans might refute these. So when Donald Trump was first in office, his first two years, he created four and a half million jobs. Now, that's actually pretty good. I'll give him credit. You made 400 or 4.5 million jobs. That's a decent job. However, in the first 10 months of his administration, Joe Biden has created 5.8 million jobs, far more in a shorter time than what Donald Trump did. I mean, in fact, the jobs report for October just came out. There were 531,000 jobs created in October alone. Now, here's something you may not know, or maybe you do. A lot of people will dispute it, but it is a fact, and it's based on the numbers that are provided by the people who fucking compile these numbers. Donald Trump is the only president to leave office with less jobs than when he came in. Donald Trump didn't gain any jobs over his four-year period, He lost jobs. 
Now, of course, Republicans, Trumplicans, Donald Trump will say, well, that's because of the pandemic. You can't blame Donald Trump for that. Well, yes, you can. Because you see, the pandemic would have never gone to the extent it did, kill as many people as it did, ruin the economy as much as it did, if he had just done his fucking job in the first place. Not call it a hoax. Not throw out the pandemic team. Not throw out the pandemic plan. Just sit back and say, oh, it'll go away. Don't worry about it. Now, had he done his job, we would have still had the pandemic, but it wouldn't have been nearly as bad as what we had. So since Donald Trump is responsible for the pandemic and the extent it went to, he, of course, is responsible for the loss of jobs. So don't tell me, don't blame Trump because of the pandemic, because the pandemic only occurred to the level it did because Donald Trump is a dumb fuck and didn't do his job. So Donald Trump lost jobs, the first president in history to lose jobs in his four-year term. Now, the other thing that Donald Trump loved to talk about is the stock market. Oh, it's the greatest stock market that ever was. I'm doing such great things. The economy is awesome because of the stock market. Let me say up front, the stock market isn't always something that the president can affect. However, the stock market works on speculation, how the future looks, and that determines how the stock market goes. Now, in the entire time Donald Trump was in office, the stock market at its peak was just under 30000 Now, just Friday, the stock market opened up. At its opening, it surged 300 points. And when it closed at the end of the day, it was 36000 under Joe Biden. Once again, that's substantially better. I mean, you can say whatever you want to say, but the numbers prove it out. Donald Trump, the greatest stock market ever, he was under 30000 When he gave it over to Biden, Biden gained more ground and did it faster than Donald Trump ever did. And now he's at 36,000. You know when I hear something funny? I remember when I was a boy, 17 years old, I worked at a radio station. And every day I'd have to read the Wall Street Report. Now I had no fucking idea what any of that shit meant. <laughs> but it was 1977, 78, that era. You know what the Dow was back then? Like 995, 999. It rarely went over a thousand. And then you go 40, uh, 40, 43 years later, and now it's up to 36,000. That's fucking amazing. That is amazing. And the fact that Joe Biden in 10 months took it from 30,000 to 36 is absolutely crazy. Far better, far more than Donald Trump ever fucking did. So next time, you're talking to a Trumplican, you might want to throw out those numbers. There's one other big number. The uh, unemployment, people signing up for unemployment. Under Donald Trump, it was 886,000. Today, under Joe Biden, it's 269,000. It's pretty much back to what it was pre-COVID. That is a big difference. Now, again, (laughs) 
the Demo- uh, the Republicans will say, well, that's because of the pandemic. Yes. And I'll just go back to what I said before. The pandemic wouldn't have been as nearly as bad if Donald Trump has simply done his fucking job. So don't tell me, don't blame Donald Trump for all the unemployment applications when he was in. He is responsible for the unemployment. He is responsible for the pandemic. It's all him. The buck stops with Donald Trump. Even though he would never admit that, that's the fact. The buck stops with Joe Biden. It stopped with Obama, and it stops with Trump. So you can talk about the economy and how well Donald Trump did, but what he did over four years doesn't even approach what uh, what Joe Biden's done in 10 months. There's a little fodder for you when you talk to a Trumplican and they start spewing their bullshit. And... Uh, <laughs> I get so tired talking to those people. If you do talk to them, God bless you, because you just can't win. They don't hear. They don't understand. They don't comprehend. They will argue with you on any point, even if you have the facts written in stone in front of them. That's how bad they are, how brainwashed and stupid they are. All right, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the NRA. Oh, they got some problems. They got some big problems. You remember they tried to file bankruptcy to get out from under a lawsuit? The judge says, yeah, now you can't do that. You're just trying to get out from paying this. I mean, they wanted to file bankruptcy, but they were telling their people, oh, we got more money than ever. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be the same. The uh, head of the NRA, Wayne LaPierre, has all kinds of problems because he's buying fucking planes and boats and using all this money that comes into the NRA to enrich himself. He's probably going to end up in jail. But here's something interesting. A gun advocacy group, I believe it's headed by Gabby Gifford. Remember Gabby Gifford? She was the politician in Arizona who was speaking, and somebody from the crowd shot her in the head. She survived. She's alive. She's somewhat disabled. She had brain injuries, but she's alive. Well, she's no longer in politics directly, but she is now with this gun advocacy group. And uh, they just filed a lawsuit against the NRA. And they are alleging that the NRA funneled $35 million in illicit campaign contributions to GOP candidates through shell corporations. So what they did is they create these corporations and they send these people money. And you know what kind of people they send them to? Well, I've got some names for you. How about Josh Hawley to the tune of $1 million? They funneled money to him via the NRA and through a shell company so they could hide it. If it was above board, why would you have to bother to fucking hide it? But Josh Hawley is on the hook. Now, can he get arrested for this? I don't know, but he can be made to pay it back. So that will be interesting. Also, um, uh, Representative Matt Rosendale, I believe he lost, though, but he got a chunk of money. Some other names that they're announcing that may be tied in this whole mess include Senator Tom Tillis, Senator Tom Cotton, Senator Cory Gardner, and others. 
all Republicans, all the NRA trying to feed them money so that they uh, can win their elections. Now, this is pretty fucking sketchy. The NRA is sketchy in its own right, but they're collecting all this money, doling out $35 million to feed it to candidates so they can win their election, so in turn they can help NRA make more money. I don't know how this is all going to shake out, but the NRA is in trouble. They're bleeding money at this point. Their leader may be going to jail for embezzlement or whatever they want to call it. He was living the high life on all the money that was sent to the NRA by its members. A lot like Donald Trump, you know. I'm going to stop the steal. I'm going to stop election fraud. Send me money. Send me money. The money comes in, and where does it go? In the pockets. Not to anything that he described he was collecting money for. Well, that's what Wayne LaPierre did, too. And he lived like a king off all these NRA members' money. And he didn't even blink at it. He was happy to fucking do it. This was basically his cash cow and whatever they were supposed to be doing. All they really did is enrich Wayne LaPierre and feed money to fucking Trumplicans to further their agenda by keeping guns free and clear to be anything, any type of gun, sell as many as you want. And they are responsible for many of these mass shootings. And they have never been made to pay a price. So because they weren't made to pay a price, this gun advocacy group realized or figured out or had the opportunity to sue them. Now, it's not as good as sending them to jail, but you take all their money, make all these politicians pay back the money and send it to the Treasury. That's going to cause some problems for them. That is going to be a big issue for them. All right, the last thing I want to talk about, I may have talked about this last night, but I want to remind you because I think it's important. Um, We know about the Manhattan District. Now, the Manhattan District in New York has investigations into the Trump administration. Cyrus Vance is the lead prosecutor, the guy in charge there. We know that they've indicted the Trump organization, which, for all intents and purposes, is going to be the end of the Trump organization. Trump, any company that gets indicted is going to end up bankrupted and out of business. That's going to be a big problem for Donald Trump. But they also indicted the CFO from the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg. Now, one of the big problems that people were concerned about was that Cyrus Vance, the head guy, announced that he was going to retire in December. A lot of people got all nervous. They said, well, somebody will come in. They'll either not continue the investigation or he'll be a friend of Trump and he'll go easy on him. Well, rest easily because that's not going to happen. They've already picked the guy who's going to replace Cyrus Vance. His name is Elvin Bragg. Now, The first part of this that's going to be a problem for Donald Trump is he's a black man, very talented, very knowledgeable, very successful, but he's black, and we know Donald Trump is fucking racist. The only thing that's of more concern to him is Letitia James, who is the attorney general of New York, who is black and a woman. He has problems with those people, too, because he's also a misogynist. But Alvin Bragg is coming in. 
and he has a history with Donald Trump and his organization. You see, Alvin Bragg has sued the Trump organization and the people in his family and in the organization more than a hundred times, and he always wins. What's interesting is we've all heard the story about Donald Trump's charitable organization, his foundation. Well, Alvin Bragg is the one that took that down, found out that as Donald Trump always does, he brings in all this money, says he's going to do all these good things, but what does he do? He puts the money in his pocket, puts his family on a big-time payroll, spends all the money, and it never goes to the place it's supposed to go. And you know what? That's fucking illegal. So in addition to suing Donald Trump for this, he got that foundation shut down, and he also made it so that Donald Trump, his family, his organization, could never have a charitable organization again. They were so bad, so vile, so criminal, that these people can't have a charitable organization ever again. And that was Alvin Bragg's work. Now, he has a particular irritation for Donald Trump. He spent a lot of time investigating Donald Trump, and he sees what's going on now within the Manhattan district. And uh, he seems to be anxious to get started in January or whenever he starts. But if you were worried about Cyrus Vance leaving and everything falling apart, oh no, that's not going to happen. As the kids would say, it's going to get turned up. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be fun to watch and see how it all shakes out. See, here's the deal. Now, there was a grand jury put together by Cyrus Vance. And with that grand jury, that's where they came up with the indictments for the Trump Organization and CFO Alan Weisselberg. Well, now that term on that grand jury expired. You see, you got to pull all these people in, you take them out of their life, and you can only keep them so long. I mean, you got to let them live their lives. So that ended. But now, and I don't know if Alan Bragg had something to do with it or if it was Cyrus Vance or the combination, there is a new grand jury being convened. So what does that mean? Well, that means there's more work to do, more things to be investigated, and probably more indictments. But the thing with Donald Trump's organization, as big as it was monetarily and how much it owns or (laughs) owes money on, because that's pretty much all he has, there's not that many people in the company. It's kind of a mom and pop shop. There's Donald Trump, his family, maybe some other underlings, and that's about it. So if the new grand jury has been convened, they're going to do some more work, more investigation, and there'll be more indictments. Well, Who's left to indict? I would have to suggest Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, Eric Trump, Don Jr., maybe some other underlings. So you've got Alvin Bragg, who doesn't like Donald Trump and has investigated Donald Trump. We have a new grand jury who is going to be looking into Donald Trump. And you know what they're looking into? They're looking into this little game that Donald Trump has played for decades and decades and decades. And that's where he um, exaggerates the value of his property. And then he devalues the value of his property. Let me explain it to you. So if you're going in for a loan and you have a building that's worth $10 million, 
you want to get a lot of money in this loan, right? So you tell the bank, oh, no, this is worth $50 million, not $10 million. It's worth $50 million. So he gets more money from the bank. Or maybe he's doing his insurance. And with the insurance, he claims it's worth $50 million because if something happens, they're going to pay the big money as opposed to what it's really worth being $10 million. But he doesn't stop there. See, when he goes to the IRS and taxes, he flips it 180. Because now he's going to tell the IRS and his tax people that this building that's actually worth two or $10 million, and he's told the banks that it's worth $50 million, now he's going to tell the IRS that that building's only worth $2 million, so he doesn't have to pay as much in taxes. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's a smart idea. <laughs> Maybe, but it's fucking highly illegal. It's bank fraud, it's insurance fraud, and it's tax fraud. And that's what they're going to be looking at in the second grand jury with Elvin Bragg. Remember what he did with the uh, charitable organization? He shut that motherfucker down because they were cheating and stealing money from it. How do you think it's going to go on this one? I mean, the fact of the matter is Michael Cohen sat in front of Congress and said that he did exactly what I explained over and over again. The other thing, in the first grand jury, they found there's two sets of books with the Trump organization. Now, the only reason you have two sets of books with the Trump organization or any other company is because you're fucking stealing. You're doing exactly what I laid out here. So Donald Trump's got some trouble ahead. Elvin Bragg, the Manhattan District, and the new grand jury are going to see to it. All right. We're going to wrap things up here for tonight. Thank you for joining me. If you have questions, comments, complaint, uh, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm, find Rational Boomer Podcast, leave me a voicemail. All right, you have a good rest of the day, and I will talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.